0: turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We're looking at verses 12 through 19. Today we may get through 18. That'd be verse 18. Let's read the Word of the Lord and ask Him to teach us. Beginning at verse 12 through 19. Now if Christ is preached... That he was raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only... We are of all men most to be pitied. Father, help us. Father, in a, in, a, in a season that we are in, in a time, in an era that we are here this day, help us to hear these words. Help us to draw deep to the faith that is given in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to bow before your throne earthen vessels with the precious treasure inside. Father, help us to hear, help us to walk, help us to grow in the faith that is so precious that it redeems the souls of humanity from eternal torment and hell. Help us, Father, to your glory and praise. Amen. If you look at that outline, you'll see that I have given two big points. One is the theological consequences and the personal consequences of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to us? And we've been going through it. In those two massive points, there are seven sub points, four points on the theological consequences and three points on the personal consequences. We've gone through the theological consequences and and we need to understand something because if you look at verse 12, I, I want us to get a hold of this. This letter is dealing with a church, the church in Corinth. And he's not dealing with a doctrinal issue because he's already said in chapter 15, verse 1, you've received this. You know this. You are being saved by this. But what I deliver to you, verse 3, is first importance... And then he goes in verses 4 through 11 and gives the eyewitnesses accounts of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we look at this today and we all celebrate Easter. Have our little eggs and our chocolate rabbits and all that other stuff. And and yet I believe as a Christian, there is no greater holiday than the celebration of Resurrection Sunday. It dwarfs Christmas Because I got news for you. If he don't get out of the grave, we're doomed. And that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. He is sharing this in a way that says, you know this. And what had happened to the church in Corinth is the very thing that has happened to the church in Castle Rock or in Knoxville or in all the places I traveled that three weeks that I was gone, that I participated in worship services and saw it, is that the society was having a greater influence on the body of Christ than the body of Christ was having on society. I was in Russia just last spring and I got to speak at the University of Orel. And a young man asked me a question. It was a a huge class, a huge group. But I remember this question because, you know, I had a chance to share something. And then they wanted me to answer questions. And I've done this a couple of times when I've been in Russia. And it's it's a blast. I love messing with college kids. Well, I do. Um, They just all think they're so smart. (laughs) And, you know, they do use great big words. But anyway, this kid stands up. Um, and he asked me this question. He says, um, I am a Christian, have been a Christian for a number of years, love the Lord Jesus Christ, love his scriptures. He says, but I have to be honest with you, I struggle with some stuff. And I said, well, you know, okay, what do you struggle with? He says, how can I, in good conscience, in good faith, believe this story about a great fish swallowing Jonah and then spitting him back up on the shore. He says, how, how can you in good conscience believe that? And I just smiled at him and says, how can you believe in good conscience that a man was dead, stuck in the ground for three days and get out of the grave? The fish thing I, is easy for me. All right, Pinocchio believed in being swallowed by a big fish. <laughs> And everybody knows Pinocchio is true. <laughs> I've run into wooden boys. <laughs> My grandpa called them knuckleheads. But anyway, um, but do you, do, you, do you understand that? And you know what? I guarantee you in this room today, there are some of you who have edited your Bibles that that does not apply to me, and it's not exactly what he meant. And what had happened in the church in Corinth is that the philosophy of the day believed in a spiritual resurrection, that there was this great God, and that each individual had a soul, and at their death, it just went back to the great God, and we were this great cosmic ocean full of drops. And you and I are but a drop in the great deity of life. It's sort of like uh, Star Wars. May the force be with you. Or you are the force or whatever is going on. There's a rippling in the force or I guess indigestion. And what I want you guys to ask yourself some questions are, when you read scripture, how much of it do you edit? Because every one of us are guilty of it. And it's no different than what they're doing here. And yet I got to ask you the question, do you understand the ramifications of editing? Do you understand when you start picking and choosing Scripture that applies to you or doesn't? I had a guy come tell me, why are you? a few years ago I taught the book of Hebrews. And the guy asked me, "Is As a pastor, why are you teaching Hebrews? It's kind of a cool book. He says, but that's to Jews. I was like, really? Actually, it's to religious people, including Jews and some Baptists. Okay. And, and you read it and it's very clear. The preeminence of the book is Jesus Christ. How can you not teach that? I don't understand that. Not only should it be taught, it should be taught regularly. If there is no resurrection, as some had said in verse 12, then Christ didn't rise. That's his argument. And if Christ didn't rise, then there is no good news. Why are we listening to preaching? And if there is no good news, then the faith is empty and the apostles are liars. Now, that is key. Because he makes this here, and I want to show you this. This is one of these that gets me into trouble all the time. Verse 2 of chapter 15, By which you were saved, if if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Listen, I know people right now who have an orthodox theology who believe in the resurrection. They may even believe in a bodily resurrection. They believe that the Bible is the word of God, and yet their lives look just like the world. Question, are they saved? I made this comment to uh, my Russian brothers. I've made it here a few times. If you witness something, you see it, you've perceived it. There it is. I have experienced this and it is against the word of God. Is it true? I look at the church today and say, we're not challenging the people to live in light of Scripture. They know the Scripture, but they don't live in light of it. I was talking to several pastors while I was out on my great migration. And they have the same phenomenon that I see here in Castle Rock. I've been in Castle Rock now for 20 years. Is that there's a disconnect between the preaching of the Word and the response of the people in the pews. I said, there ain't a disconnect. It's been that way since Jesus did it there are a time that they can set under orthodox theology. They will have a basic understanding of of all the foundational doctrines of Scripture, and yet they live just like lost people. What is your conclusion? Well, it's easy. They're just carnal. No. They have added to themselves the condemnation. That's what this text is dealing with, brothers and sisters. There is a bodily resurrection. I've been to the grave. He ain't there. And listen, I walk around in Israel, they've got a monument or a church to everything. And if Jesus Christ's body was around, we'd have a church. I mean, they got a church on the Mount of Olives. They've got a church on the Sermon on the Mount. they got a church that hovers over Peter's house because they're afraid to turn up artifacts and you, you just sit there and go what and then the Greek Orthodox they come in and say well you ain't got the right place so, they've got, so everywhere there's got two churches listen you can pay money to kiss the hole where they say the cross was inserted on Golgotha they have a line of people who will go and there's a stone that they cut out of his tomb and you can kiss it Yuck. Oh, you see a big old line of people. That's good. Yeah. Hoof and mouth disease. That's what I thought of. <laughs> if they had the body, listen, they've got a, a, a headless body in uh, the Vatican that is supposedly John the Baptist. How do you know Paul. <laughs> you know it ain't Billy Bob Thornton (laughs) I mean it it could be anybody who got their head removed but they worship it they worship it but you know what they don't have a body for Jesus Christ they don't have one but last week we began looking at something that I believe that you and I had better pay very close attention to started there in verse 17, 18, what we'll hit on today really fits with it. But in 17, it says, you are still in your sins. Okay. If there is no bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, then that means sin killed him. And if sin killed him and he is still in the grave, then that means sin won. That means that your faith, has absolutely no power to deal with sin. And the wages of sin is death. If there's no resurrection. And I'm talking bodily resurrection. That means that the penalty of sin has not been paid. Which is okay. That means you pay it. Because let me tell you something, the penalty of sin will be paid. Guaranteed. You can either do it with the blood of Jesus Christ or you can step up. If he did not raise bodily resurrection, then there is no one there interceding on behalf of you and me. We have no great high priest. And I took you to a, a phrase, and I'll just touch on it quickly, and, and then we'll get back. And it came out of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 5. Acts, Acts chapter, sorry, yeah, 5, verse 31. The context is the God of our fathers raised Jesus up. Okay? The resurrection. God raised Jesus up. All right? That is, means that God says, I accept the payment for sin. He raised Jesus up, whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. Okay? Because he's already given them the argument we must obey God rather than men. And you're telling us to quit preaching, and I'm gonna tell you, ha ha. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as quote, prince. That's the New American Standard Translation. The word is Archagos. Archagos, you really need this word. You really need this word. Archagos was on the ship, the best swimmer. And if the ship got into trouble in a storm, they would tie a rope around the Archegos and he would jump into the sea and he would swim to shore. And once he got to shore, he would secure the rope and then all those who would be saved from the ship that was sinking would climb hand over hand down that rope to where the Archegos had gone. He is the forerunner. He is the one who cut through death. And he was so successful that the rope was taught, and now you follow. Did you hear what I said? You follow. We always make fun of Peter, you know, we always see the, the, the the apostle with the foot shaped mouth. But here's something about Peter. He got out of the boat. I'm willing to have a foot shaped mouth to get out of the boat. And my wife said, Well, you got that one down. Okay. But it's true. It's true because you know what? You will follow. I know people who have a very orthodox theology who will believe everything you do and celebrate Easter. They may even get up like for the sunrise service thing on Easter. Okay? But you know what? They never got out of the boat. Let me tell you something. If the boat is sinking, what should you do? I'd get out of it. All right? I mean, I really would. I'd, quickly. And let me tell you something, this world is sinking. And there's only one Archegos, and he's already secured the rope, but you're going to have to follow it. And we have... I, that should be the challenge of ourselves, because he says here, if you do not get out of the boat, then he didn't survive. If he didn't survive, then guess what? You're still in your sins. Guess You know what that means? The sin, the penalty for sin will be paid and you will pay it. Alright? So the power of sin is still alive. It is still victorious. If he didn't rise. Okay, do you see the implication of that statement? Have you ever thought about the implications of that statement? Do you understand that those who are on Jesus Christ have the ability to overcome which sin? What? Be real careful answering that. You need to be real careful answering that. Because I watched the church today try to use every technique and philosophy that exists among man to do what? Overcome sin. But I thought he was raised from the dead. I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. I know people looking for spouses who believe God raised him from the dead but can't find me a spouse. Or can't find me a job. Or can't find me an education. Or he can't find me this. Or he can't find me that. But he can raise the dead. I don't know. And my daughter thinks I'm talking about her. She she already knows it. God told me her husband died at birth. But anyway. (laughs) But but I share that with you because I watched the church act just like lost people and yet they'll get up early on Easter. And I got to ask you a question. Now, I've I've done a little stuff in medicine. I used to do some stuff with Mountain Rescue. Uh, I was an EMT for a little bit and all the rest of it. And I have seen dead people. I have buried some very dear friends. And I have seen dead people. I've never seen any of them get up out of the grave. Sorry. Okay. Well, what about those that you bring back? Well, they weren't dead. Okay. Their heart may have stopped and you got it quick enough to get it started again, but they weren't dead. When a person dies, there's no doubt in your mind they're dead. Okay, whether it is that instant of death or whether you see him the next day, they're still dead. And I have to ask the question. God raised Jesus from the dead. And I've heard that, well, he wasn't really dead, really. Well, he swooned. He what? He swooned, and they carried him and laid him in the coolness of the t- tomb, and in three days he got up and walked on pierced feet. Sure, he did. I, I, now, how much faith did it take to believe that? But you hear it. Now, listen, what I'm telling you, I'm hearing from conservative evangelicals, I'm not hearing it from the idiots. Listen, if Christ didn't raise, then he makes a statement here in verse 6. He says, those who have fallen asleep, he literally means those who are dead, okay, have perished. You know what the word perished means to a Jewish mindset? They're damned. All those who've ever believed in Jesus Christ and his resurrection are now Damned and he's already dealt with it if you believed in vain if you have an empty faith that has no commitment to it no understanding no reality nothing there then guess what everyone who has died with their faith in Christ is spending eternity tormented but he's saying if there's no resurrection it doesn't really matter what you believe because all faith will be empty it's one of the amazing things about Islam that uh, I have dealt with in the past is their faith is empty when it comes to dealing with sin. You talk to a Muslim, the average Muslim today, and they will tell you, "Yes, there is sin, and yes, that Allah will forgive sin." And how do you know? Well, you hope. What do you mean, you hope? Well, I hope that I do more good than I do bad and Allah will let me in. I said, well, how will you know? You don't know. You don't know. The only time that a Muslim is absolutely positive that Allah will let them in is if they've been martyred. That's it. That's a scary faith. I mean, you look at faith in the systems of faith that exist. Well, I believe that I can enter nirvana and if I don't, then I'm going to come back as a chicken and I'll go through it again and then if I don't do well as the chicken, I'll come back as a goat and then I'll just keep repeating it until I get it right and I'll end up in nirvana. Well, what the heck is that? I don't want no part of that. My faith says... The penalty of sin is death. And without a perfect sacrifice to atone for that sin, then all will pay. Oh, by the way, there is a perfect sacrifice. But he's saying here that if Christ has not been raised, now remember, he gave over 600 eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. And he gives them in a, an, an amazing group, James, his half brother. All right, so if you can get your family to believe you got up out of the grave, and then even an enemy of the church, Paul, I, late born, I seen him. But the faith is in vain if he did not raise from the grave. The faith of Peter, the faith of James, John, Paul, dear Stephen, who was stoned for preaching, are all in eternal torment. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead. Think of Augustine. Think of Luther. Think of Knox. Think of Spurgeon, Moody, Stephen Oldford, Adrian Rogers. They are all an eternal torment if Jesus Christ didn't rise. If the dead don't rise, Christ didn't rise. And you're still in your sin. Verse 17, still in your sin. And if you're still in sin, then you go to hell, a place of torment. Hell holds them all. Satan won, God lost. If the dead don't rise. Every believer who has ever closed their eyes in death, full of hope to open their eyes and see the face of Jesus, perished. Perished. Never seeing him. Who their soul loved. If Christ didn't rise. If the dead are not raised. Now think about this for a second. I've never seen the dead raised. I've never seen the dead raised. But you know what? I've never heard of a religion on the planet. Except one who their savior was raised from the dead. You can go see where Muhammad was buried. You can go see where Buddha was buried. You can go see where all of them were buried. You can go see where Moses, you know that they, where was Moses' body? They're all dead. They're all dead. And go guess what? Bodies are still there. Jesus is not. If the dead don't rise, then damned with everyone else in sin if Christ didn't rise. Listen however you slice this thing, that verse 18 and the end of 17 is what I would call a crushing argument. Crushing argument. You just can't take a small variation on Scripture. I don't understand that. And you know what? How many in this room take a variation on Scripture? Just a slight It's not that big a deal. Really? Let me ask you a question. I'm going to try not to get in trouble here, but you know how well I do with that. My Bible says that I have been given everything I need for life and godliness. Life is the temporal... Godliness is the eternal, right? You've already been given it. It's past tense, right? Well, say amen. Peter, boy, there he goes. Peter, remember, he got out of the boat. So why is it so many in the Christian faith are seeking for more? Philosophies. Psychology. Why is psychology embraced By the church. Well, Terry, you don't understand. Really? Explain it to me. Well, we are more educated. We are wiser now. Really? I used to have an Indian friend that could take uh, the brains of an elk and mix it and would have enough of this ingredient thing to uh, tan um, the hide of an elk it's, it was an Indian thing it would just be beautiful and supple and just amazing and I remember her looking at me one time Says, even an elk has got enough brains to tan its own hide <laughs> there's a lot of thought theology in that Okay, because let me tell you something, the issues that the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John and Matthew and Simon, all of them dealt with are no different than the issues you deal with today. Not only that, they were probably more compounded then than they are today. And if he says he's given me everything I need for life and godliness, then guess what? I still have it now. Why then do we struggle with where will I eat? Where will I sleep? Who will I marry? Where will my job be? Where will my profession be? Why do we struggle with that? Because I thought he said he gave me everything I need for life and godliness. But here's the problem just a slight variance in scripture. Doesn't that bother you? I look at the church today and everybody is trying to do what? Grow the church. I thought he had that figured out. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. I'm kind of thankful for that that keeps us out of the mix but, but I see people and then, then you sit and say well this is a blessed church why? because they base it on what? numbers you know what you just said? Jesus' ministry was a failure he didn't really have a lot of numbers and I mean everywhere Paul went and the, you know that's the big thing that I hear today I am a church planter well, no one can compete with Paul when it comes to planting the church. And if you look at it, use that and say, the one church that he's been any time in was the strongest, Thessalonica. Let's find that fascinating. But it's just the variances on church. Yeah, I had a statement. I had a discussion just this week group of pastors and they said the, the thing that is hurting the church in Castle Rock is uh, a lack of faith and I was like well okay and he says but what we need to do as pastors is, is, is to be like Joshua you know Joshua stepped into the river and God did amazing more than he could say it. and I said no he didn't they said what? Joshua commanded the Levites to step into the river. Joshua didn't step into it. Huh? He had the people who were going between God and the people step into the river, and the river did it. Oh, you know what I mean. All right. He says, But the faith of the leadership, that's how the people will grow. And I says, So what happened to the church in Corinth? I'm thinking that the faith of the Apostle Paul was not shabby. So what happened there? Better yet, what happened in Ephesus? They had lost their first love. Who founded that church? Oh yeah, that Paul dude, the church planner guy. Nah. Listen, brothers and sisters, I love you, but if you're trying to go to heaven on my faith, you're in serious trouble. Okay. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You can take a small variation in Scripture and where will it lead you? There's a reason that God is meticulous as He is on His detail in Scripture. It's how He can use a word like archegos and says that this is the strongest swimmer and he got out of the boat and he swam to line and now you've got to go down the rope. This is by the guy who got out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee. There's a reason the words were used. There's a reason it was used in this manner, and it was used in the power of the Holy Spirit for your and my life. Listen, if the dead don't rise, Christ didn't rise. If Christ didn't rise, our preaching is useless. Our faith is useless. The apostles are liars. Sin was not dealt with, and all those dead believers are now damned. That's why when I watch a Christian start dealing with their sin based on a psychological understanding that I say that is useless, it is fruitless, and it will lead you nowhere but to despair. If you truly want your sin dealt with, then it has to hurt you enough to know that you are mocking the cross of Jesus Christ. And until you get to that place, your sin ain't going to be dealt with. Paul told a young Timothy that was in the church in Ephesus trying to straighten out the leadership and were teaching blasphemy. And he says, understand this, Timothy, when they come against you and they fight against you, you pray that God brings them to repentance. You want your sin dealt with? Pray to God that he brings you to repentance. I remember in my life, I have... A checkered past, we'll call it. And I remember dealing with things after my salvation on how do I overcome these things? And I always thought about this. If you think about the cross of Christ, you think about that those nails were stuck right between the ulna and the radius of the forearm. That's where the brachial nerve is. You have no idea the pain that can be there. I had arterial blood when I was almost in a coma taken out of there, but I woke up enough to know that they were going after arterial blood because they hit that nerve. And it brought me out of the coma, just like that. You run a nail through the arch of your foot and bend your foot back so you can do it. And then they would set it on a cross. And as that cross was set up, there was a hole in the ground. It would slide down and sink down into that hole. It's your nerves carrying the full weight of that body and the arches of his feet. And all I have to do is think about that shocking pain through the body of my Lord and Savior. And somehow sin comes a little less interesting to me to know that he did that for me. Now then, what psychological profile would you like to go through to overcome your sin? What philosophy of anger management would you like? He am hanging on that cross on your behalf and never even brought a word of accusation against those who murdered him. Try that one. Let me ask you, and I'll close with this. The pastors that I talk to and things that I have witnessed in my own ministry is the disconnect between the Scriptures and the lives. Of the people. Let me ask you a question right now. Every one of you. And then you don't have to answer me, you'll figure it out. There are so many that have a disconnect between what the Holy Scripture says and their lives. And I have to ask you this question What is your disconnect? What part of the book do you ignore? What part do you move to a place that you prefer it? Well, that was for ancient people. That was for Jewish mindsets. That was for non-American people. What part do you prefer not to look at? Because I'm going to ask you one thing. Do you believe that God the Father bodily raised Jesus Christ from the tomb? If you answer yes to that, then you know me, I always have a part B to my questions. What problem do you have he can't handle if he can only raise the dead? And do you live a life in the power of the resurrection? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul, his faithfulness to you. Lord, I thank you for your church that you purchased with your precious blood. Father, we who are called by your name, Help us, Lord. Help us first and foremost to repent. and Father, help us to be victorious in these struggles. Father, help us understand the privilege of your church, the privilege of being a part of the church, the privilege of even being involved in kingdom work this day and this age. Father, I just beg you, starting with me, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. Father, give these precious souls the same ears, the same eyes. Father, when I think about the precious saints and their suffering and their sacrifice in southern Russia, I pray we who are gathered will unite in that suffering and that sacrifice. To your glory, to your praise. Amen.